think about what happens when a patient has a social determinant of health. They may or may not be able to take their medication because of financial issues. There may be some social factor, maybe in their family life. It's affecting their health. And so this diagnosis that the physician has given them is important for them to manage. And if they can't manage it effectively because of this social determinant of health, then we have a problem. What happens when healthcare practices embrace unconventional billing concepts? How does the introduction of the new Social Determinants of Health Code, G0136, impact the industry? And for those of you out there needing some motivation, we'd like to motivate you today with some tips if you battle with imposter syndrome. Stay tuned. Season 2 of the Healthcare-Inspired Podcast, Healthcare Echoes, Episode 3, Creative Chaos, What Are We Thinking? Well, everyone, thank you for joining uh, the Healthcare Inspired Podcast. This is Healthcare Echoes, Season 2, Episode 3. So we are excited to have our co-host back on the show, Maya Turner. Welcome back, Maya. Hello, everybody. Hope everyone is having a great week. It is Friday, the weekend, the day before the weekend. So hope everybody is getting ready to do some very nice and exciting and relaxing things. Yes, I am so excited just to be here. You know, I get to uh, go out of town next week. So I'm, I always get kind of nervous, excited when I go out on a on a trip for a client and I'm gone for a whole week, but I'm excited to get things done. You know, I think when what we do as consultants, um, we travel a lot sometimes or we're always doing something, but it feels like when we're ready to go make changes and help improve healthcare, it feels good. It feels good yeah. to make a difference. Absolutely. Authenticity, being true yes. to what you do. Yes. I love that. I love that. So we talked about last week how this week we're going to talk about something I think is pretty special. Now, Dr. CJ Wolf, I have to give him props because he kind of gave me this idea. I saw something that he posted about creative billing concepts. And I, you know, I made sure a long time. So if you, we've seen a lot of unique ways to get things done in our medical practices uh, facilities. Oh my goodness. So we wanted to talk about some of these unique ways that um, some out there decide to get things done. So in your mind, Maya, what, how would you define creative billing concepts first in the way we're talking about it today? Well, I think creative billing concepts is by any means necessary trying to get a bill paid. Um, not necessarily concerning about or concerned about the ramifications, the integrity behind what you're billing, right? There's there's no regard. It's just by getting paid by any means necessary. Those are getting a creative billing concepts and not considering guidelines or or payer. It's just making sure the dollar is comes in the office and we all know how that can turn out exactly so we sometimes you know feel as consultants that we're not being heard we're giving them advice on what's going to work what's not going to work and we feel like they think they know better and so I'll give you an example I wanted to kind of give an example of something that I encountered once that I never thought I would encounter so I was working for a practice and, you know, I was doing my thing. I was in the position of leadership, so I wasn't doing the day-to-day. I had staff that was doing the day-to-day billing for them and they would just report back to me some of the things they were encountering. And so at one point I found out what they were doing. There was a certain procedure that is cosmetic, 
based and it's really never covered by insurance. Um, but they thought, well, okay, I'm gonna look at my contract. United Healthcare doesn't pay very much for this procedure. So I'm gonna just self-pay the patients and they can self-file on their own. Oh and stuff, right? And so um lo and behold, and this is happening. I get a call. We get a call from the one of the patients because we help with their surgical estimates, things like that. So one of my staff members was helping them with their estimates and was, I guess, just helping them self-file because they were told by the office that's what they were going to do. Anyway, so I'm like, I'm trying to catch up here once I find this out and, uh, you know, come to find out they, they had a contract. They do have this covered. And so I want to let everyone know out there, if an insurance company covers a procedure, you are, you're under contract, you're required to accept that rate. You, you're under contract, right? Now, side of that, hey, if they don't cover it and there's nothing in your contract stating this is the rate for that and it's literally a non-covered service and your patient still wants that procedure, you have options, right? They have options to get that done. But it should be documented but, that you still are accepting to do the procedure regardless of coverage, yes. Exactly. So again, I, you know, I go back to think about, who's involved in this scenario. You have a patient, of course, that's going to pay you potentially for a procedure. And if they don't pay you, then you're going to try to get it from somewhere else. So you go into contract with an insurance company because you want to get paid for, for the service you need to provide. You can't get it from the patient because they have, they have signed up with an insurance. So, okay, this, this person's going to pay me now. This is the thought process that you go through when you start a medical practice. Right. Someone's going to pay you, right? So whether exactly. it's a patient or it's an insurance payer, but if it's the insurance payer, guess what? They have rules and regulations. They're not just going to shell out some cash, right. send you a check, blank check, right? Mm. To just have, right? They have to know what it's for. Why are you doing it? You know, uh, what's the medical necessity? And I'm not a fan. I'm going to, I'm going to be truthful here. I'm not a fan of some of the contracted rates that are going on right now. And some of the things that these practices are having to deal with, I just think it's wrong that yeah, um, in this day and age the inflation that we have these low rates but again we think we still have to stay within the rules and regulations right. i think facilities and, and well i say insurances are taking advantage of the marketability for people being a part of the network so they create these means and these loopholes so that the providers will sign up they get the network that they want but they can charge them you know so 10 cents on the dollar to pay them for the services just so that the provider can get the exposure. And that's really not fair for the, the smaller practices who are venturing out on their own without the big overhead uh, expenses by larger organizations. It just, it's really bad. It is. Another one of the, the things that I've seen, you may have seen before as well, is um, we have what we call, of course, bundles in CCI, the CCI edits. PTP edits, right? PTP, the, the, the procedure, the procedure edits that we have with Medicare and most payers follow that Right. where it tells you, okay, you can get paid for this code in column one, but this column two code may or may not be payable unless you add a modifier. Exactly. Sometimes, yeah. Yeah, we know, sometimes that second column code pays more, doesn't it? It does. It does. It does. It does. So Maya, what do our physicians tend to want to do when they see that? They use the one that pays the more as primary rather than the one that is uh, should be primary. And when it comes to those services, that's faulty uh, claims submitting 
because that's not the primary procedure. And it's usually when you're dealing with primary procedures and by any means by uh, Medicare and commercial payer rules, it's usually the one that has the highest work RVU value that you're supposed to list as primary. Um, it's not always um, going to be the same way as far as, you know, the P2P edits, uh, because it's going to make a difference on the integrity of that payment. So you, you can't necessarily make something more than what it is. It's always going to be what's primary. You, you have to make it so that it reflects what the document says and how you're submitting it to the insurance payer for payment. For instance, you know, you think about what actually happened. Now we're here to make sure that the reimbursement you get is compliant and is truly yours, but right. beyond the reimbursement, when you don't report the documentation, the codes that are accurate, you cause a problem not only for the reimbursement, but also for that patient because yes. the true to truth, right? The truth of what actually happened is not clearly seen or, or, or not reported. Right. So later on, when they try to get maybe another test done or another document, another mm -hmm. uh, procedure done, mm -hmm. they mm -hmm. may not be able to because they're like, well, you don't have a history of this. Right. Oh yeah, yeah. I had this done. Well, we don't show you how that done. Absolutely. <laughs> and you know, what, what really, what insurance payers, what physician's office fail to realize is that anything that's submitted for a bill, they keep track of, you know, they call frequency limitations. You know, you have C-SNAP uh, where you have go on to Medicare and you can check the frequency for a uh, services that's allowable. Don't think you know, that the insurances don't keep up with the diagnoses, don't think that they don't keep up with the procedures. So let's say you want to get something paid and you smidge the date of service just so you can get paid, right? That doesn't necessarily mean that it's benefiting because what if that patient goes to another office to get that same service and the frequency limitations are an issue that day or two days or that week that you change in order to get paid is the difference on how that patient will get the next service within that time frame. So you gotta be really careful. You know, creative billing concepts is is the means to not keep a payment because somebody is going to find out. Somebody's gonna find out by either the patient. What also could happen is you may wind up voiding that services altogether. So that's no money that you got instead of some money. So think about that. Yeah. And guess what? You already paid out the staff time uh -huh. paid for supplies, potentially. Yep. You're already paid for it in one way. And now you're, you're in the hole. And this goes back to when we were talking about the billing software, you know, the mm -hmm. software, you know, if you are spending all the money to use it, but you're creating ways to use it effectively and it's not true to what you're doing, the quickest way to lose money is to do something wrong and buy supplies you don't need, right? If, if, if you're a kid, like my kid, he just got a job, right? And he's like, oh my gosh, I'm so happy I got a job, right? And the first thing he did was buy a big ticket item and wasn't able to get to and from work. I said, so how are you going to get to work? How are you, you going to get to work? You, are you expected for me to help you because you bought a big ticket, ticket item? You have to be mindful of the money that you A, spending, and B, that you're performing, because if you don't, you're going to find out that something is going to be less, you're not going to have the money to afford whatever it is that you really need to move forward. So, well, and just on a quick note before we get into our next topic, I wanted to just highlight that we have to get creative with how we do things that are not, they kind of leave the the, the path of the status quo, because 
So for instance, um, insurance companies may not always follow logic. Just saying. And so sometimes they don't even follow their own policies. They require a 25 modifier for something that makes no sense. Yeah, I've seen that. I've seen um, where, I don't know, we talked about this last season, where your your edits in your billing system will not make sense. It wants you to put a modifier 25 on a lab and an E&M service on the same day. It's all about how the build is. So again, this kind of goes back to the creative billing concepts, what we talked about. Make sure your EMR system and your, your revenue management system, your practice management system is up to par with the edits and the NCCI edits, because if that's not right, you're going to find a creative workaround that may or may not be accurate, that may cause a flag for the insurance companies to try to come back and take their payments. So all of that also makes a difference as well. Exactly, exactly. So what I wanted to um, kind of bridge into now is we're going to kind of start this um, show format where we want to give you some hot topic like we just talked about. We're going to give you a, a code we're going to dissect um, on each episode, and then we're going to give you some motivation. So our code we picked for today is GO136. Oh, goody, goody. This new... Oh, yeah. This... This new uh, SDOH code, Social Determinants of Health Risk Assessment, so uh, GO136. Now, what do we know about this code? What is it really designed? What did Medicare really want to use this for? What was their intention, Maya? The intention behind using um, G0136 is kind of the same how they use with the depression screening. It's kind of equal in value, right? But it's usually, it's a pre-screening tool to help determine if... Um, the patient is in need of social services. And I think one of the things that's really kind of kind of pretty uh, cool about the way that they're allowing this code to be used is the fact that it can be used during a um, annual wellness visit. It could be used as part of a behavioral service, like, you know, an initial behavioral or psychiatric evaluation. So it's one of those codes that has multiple venues. It could be used during an annual wellness visit, a subsequent annual wellness visit, a psychiatric diagnosis evaluation, um, which is pretty important. One, because then you have an idea of how the patient, once they have been assessed, what to what can be utilized next? How do we assist that? You know, just like if a person has a depression, a positive a depression score, how do we go about treating that? So it's a means to catapult the next service level for that patient once a screening and or an evaluation has been performed to make sure that they can make their appointments, that they can make, you know, afford their medications, all of those types of things that can be um, important for the patient once that assessment and or that uh, assessment and management plan has been um, determined. Exactly. Now, I, I find it funny, though, because they kind of use these words interchangeably within their own criteria of screening assessment. And so right. one thing that they did mention the final rule that I just want to highlight because we often consider the word screening assessment, sometimes you can interchange those words, but they made yes. it clear um, in that, that they don't want it to be considered a screening in the traditional sense of the word. Right, right, um, right, right. They want you to think of it as a way for you to assess, right? When, mm -hmm. when they said that in the final rule, is it going to interfere with your diagnosis or treatment of that patient because think about what happens when a patient has a social determinant of health they may or may mm -hmm. not take their medications because of financial right. issues 
Right. Uh, there may be some social factor, maybe in their family life, it's affecting their health. And right. so this diagnosis that the physician has given them is important for them to manage. And if they right. can't manage it effectively because of this social determinant of health, right. then we have a problem. Right. It's important, as I mentioned, the final rule, we have to have a way to follow up. So we are going to assess them what is going on today. And then we have to take care of them, whether we refer them off to another agency. I think initially, I don't know if you remember this, if anyone ever came to you with this, a lot of physicians were pushing back on creating some kind of tool to assess patients for this, you know, several years ago, because they didn't want to have to follow through with what they had to do next. Right, so right. what they said is like, we don't necessarily expect you to go through all of this crazy stuff, but we do expect you in some capacity to refer them to resources that they need. And right. it shouldn't be resource intensive if you're organized about it. If you have right. this ready to go, prepared for this, then it shouldn't be a big deal. It shouldn't take too much staff time to make this happen as right. long as you're organized about it. That's my thought on it, my opinion personally, right. but but they do say they would expect you to, to at least follow through and follow up with patient and how they're doing. Right, right. And I and, and one of the bigger things that we also want to address it's um is is that, that there is a tool, a standardized tool that's used. That's the language that they use in the decode descriptor, a standardized tool. It doesn't necessarily have to be like a PHQ nine, but one of them is a health-related social needs tool. That's one of the things that CMS created in order for this this to be utilized appropriately. And it it breaks down categories like um, housing, insecurity, transportation, utility, those types of things. What providers are afraid to do is once they learn about it, that they they feel like they have to care about that patient in that manner. In, in reality, what they have to do is document how it's affecting the management for that patient once they're teed off. So you don't want to necessarily get so caught up into not addressing the problem that you're losing a lot more money that you could have made by using the code and referring them out. So think about, you know, um, this is like seeing an old woman that falls. You can help her get up, right? But you're not gonna, you know, do everything to help her get home. You know, you just wanna make sure that she is walking, that she can get on her way, but you're still helping her get up and be mobile again. That's the same concept. You know, you don't have to get so involved that you're involved with the entire process of her getting home. You just want to make sure she gets up and that she can walk. Same concept. The, the problem is, is that nobody wants to assume the responsibility behind once they find out that there is a need for uh, social determinants of health and, and um, the resources. As long as you document that there's a need, as long as you document that this patient has a problem, then you've done your job. And the next thing is, we see that you have instability. I'm going to refer you to this agency. And then that's it. That's all you need to do. You don't have to, you know, pay for a hotel room. You don't have to give them money for food. You're just acknowledging that there is an issue and that that issue is affecting the management of that patient. And I think that's the biggest takeaway for all of this. Yes. And guess what? Document it, please. Yep. Hello. Yes, absolutely. And, and, and the way that they've worded it, and I'm not sure, um, Jenny, you got to um, uh, uh, keep me keep me uh, honest here. Once 
it's documented and it could be documented by anybody as long as it's documented and part of the medical record for that day of service then it is uh, a capturable um, revenue opportunity because it's documented and it's related to that date of service it doesn't necessarily have to be something that has to be documented specifically by the physician. It can be documented by anyone as long as it's part of the medical record for that day of service. So when ICD-10 came out with their rule on the STOH as part of the, the code set back in 2015, we weren't really utilizing, we really didn't know much about it. No, but then, but then, of course, the EM guidelines changed, and in twenty uh, twenty one, they made that part of the moderate level, uh, right? Yes. And then there was an update okay. in the guidelines for ICD ten mm -hmm. that you could take what the patient self identifies in their, of course, initial uh, talk with you, and you can like the HPI and take that and put that as part of your assessment and plan how yeah. you addressed. Right. those things that they were mentioning to you because, and then you could report those codes as, as long as you could identify, okay, they said this is happening and this is how it affects their care. Right. So yeah. you would yeah. bring that into documentation. So please, please, please don't just report GO136 without adding those Z codes for our quality teams oh, out there. Oh yeah. And that's what, yes. and that's another thing is, I mean, even though, uh, SDOH has been around since they introduced the code set, I believe in 2016, and there were 10 categories. And since it's been introduced, I believe there are 1100 something codes that are out there. Uh, 42 for the year, uh, 42 starting uh, for the year of 2023. But I think one of the biggest takeaways in regards to those codes is that you just can't report them freely. They have to be right. relative to the situation Right. And it has to be documented to support why you're building the code. So if you're using a G0136, it better be a Z code there to say why. You cannot have one without the other. Now, some of them, some of them, some of them may not be uh, reportable as they can't be reportable as primary because they're supplemental codes. But you still want to make sure that whatever is appropriate, some of them could have four or five categories. The one that is uh, the biggest trigger is the homelessness one. That's affecting the DRG reimbursement. That's affecting a whole lot of things. So you want to make sure that that is something that's prevalent, especially if the patient is homeless. Um, that's a big deal. That's a really big deal. Yeah, on the diagnosis side. Yeah, Maya can tell you what is going to affect the DRG. And we are going to make that a, a topic of one of our future episodes where we dissect all the all the implications. So next week, we're going to dig more into some of the, the common um, conditions in the hospital that affect the DRG and some missteps yes. that are made that affect the DRG. So before we close out today, I wanted to, first of all, I wanted to highlight some motivation for y'all. Some, some of us um, deal with imposter syndrome. I know I've done it in the past. Um, you know, we, we sometimes feel like we're not as, as good at what we do as we actually are. And so I have felt that way so many times I've had to have people like Maya just kick me in the butt and say, girl, stop it. You know, you're, you're amazing. And I don't like to hear that about myself sometimes, which is why I have imposter syndrome, <laughs> but I just want to say it's nice when people support you. And, and so if you know somebody that you just value so much out there and you want them to know how valuable they are, I encourage you to tell them today, tell them tomorrow, keep telling them how valuable they are because a lot more people than you think suffer from imposter syndrome. And so yeah. I want to give you a little motivation here. 
Um, anything you want to say to our audience about that, Maya? I think the biggest thing about being in this field is appreciating when you're getting the help. Saying thank you. You know, a thankful heart is a grateful heart, right? Be grateful because they didn't have to say anything or do anything to help you. So I think we as a... Uh, as coding compliance, as a coding compliance family of revenue integrity specialists, be grateful. Say thank you. You never know how far it'll take somebody because some people walk around with three lines that are straight every day because nobody ever says thank you. When someone learns how to appreciate who you are, you go further to make sure that they're happy. 100%. And I know you've been getting a lot of Maya lately, and I know you're going to be excited to learn where else she's going to be. She's going to be at our practice management symposium on February 16th. Guess what, Maya? You're going to be our speaker on branding and social media for medical practices. So are you excited yeah. about that? I am. And you know what? I think one of the things that we just talked about is saying thank you, even though, you know, you could branding in, in regards to practicing, but think about your own personal branding you know, how it makes a difference. Things that are intentional, things are not intentional, right? Intentional branding is when you in, uh, want people to have an image of what you are, right? Unintentional branding is when you unintentionally do things that is a reflection of you and or your practice. Hello, things that you say negative on social media, things that you say negative um, about your boss, you know, those types of things are unintentional, but it's still branding just the same. So be mindful of that. I'm going to be talking about that. I'm real excited about that. One, because we need to realize that everything that we do, someone is watching. Mm -hmm. Someone is watching. So be mindful of that. And we're going to talk about how branding makes a difference in your practice. Don't say that you can do something and you can't do it. If you can get any claim approved and you know you only had a 10% of success rate of getting it approved, don't say you can get it approved true to yourself, be true to your practice and know who you are and your limitations. Exactly. So, well, thank you, Maya. And thank you everyone. And we look forward to seeing you next week for episode four and we'll see you all at the practice management symposium. So we will see you later guys. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of healthcare echoes season two of the healthcare inspired podcast. We hope you enjoyed the episode. A big thank you to our listeners and as always, our amazing co-host Maya Turner for being right here with us every week. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button on your favorite podcast platform. You can also visit our show notes for a direct link to our amazing podcast website where you can listen anytime. And for those of you that want to revisit this episode or catch the original video content, please head over to our YouTube channel. This episode was remastered from our original video episode, and you can find the link in our show notes. We appreciate your support and your feedback means so much to us. Please share this episode in all your favorite episodes on social media and let us know what you think. Next week, we're coming back with an amazing episode discussing common conditions that we see in the hospital that really affect the DRG, the diagnosis-related group that is, of course, responsible for hospital payment. We'll give you an inside scoop as to how you can transition from a medical coder to a CDI professional. Until next time. <laughs>